Hey everybody, welcome to the Startup Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rayner, and today I'm joined by Matt Roberts, uh, founder of D1 Ticker, a daily email with curated news all around, all from around the world of Division I college athletic news. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, awesome, Jordan. I, uh, anything you're into, I'm into, so thanks for letting <laughs> me be a part of Well, thanks. So before we hear uh, three great stories from your experience as an entrepreneur, why don't you tell our listeners what D1 Ticker is all about? So, so D1 Ticker, as you alluded to, is a daily email service that is um, a curation of the most important developments from Division I college athletics every single day. Um, well, I take that back. I didn't do Christmas morning of 2014, so <laughs> three, 364 days a year. And uh, it's, a, it's a service that's now been in the market for a little over two and a half years, uh, has grown organically from uh, zero subscribers to nearly 10,000. Um, and it fits my background really well, which we'll, I'm sure, dive into. But uh, it is complemented now by D2 ticker, uh, which is a three times per week effort for developments in uh, Division II college athletics that goes out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and has a strong following itself. So both of them, uh, I think, are essential for leadership in and throughout college athletics to stay abreast of what's happening uh, with their peers and within their industry. Yeah, and one of the things that that Matt didn't say, while while the audience, the size of the audience is impressive of 10,000 people, the quality of Matt's audience is what's really interesting, what makes D1 Ticker a really uh, interesting business. Uh, so uh, I mean, you, you have Division One college athletic directors uh, from some pretty major schools who are reading the email on a daily basis. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. And so as of today, we're airing this in early July of, of 15, uh, over 65% of all Division One college athletic directors Subscribe to D1 Ticker, including 52 of the 65 Big Five uh, conference ADs. So that's, of course, the ACC, SEC, Pac-12, Big 12, and Big 10. So uh, 52 of those 65, oh, and plus Notre Dame, of course, to that group. We shouldn't forget uh, the Fighting Irish. Um, so that cohort of ADs, which arguably are your biggest and most influential decision makers across the industry, open these emails at a rate of over 77% a day. And uh, having worked on uh, a staff like that before, uh, the pitch that I give to a lot of potential sponsors or simply those who have questions about the service is it's hard to get your own daggone emails opened by your own AD 77% of the time when you work in that type of yeah. department. So I think that's, that's, that's a really neat factoid or metric to uh, gauge the um, effectiveness of D1 uh, D1 ticker and the role that it plays daily in providing an efficient look at the industry for some of the the key players. Awesome. That's awesome. So Matt, tell us the founding story behind D1 ticker. Why did you, why did you start this? Um, Probably if you boil it down to one point, it it would be uh, peer pressure, right? So uh, for a long time, in my background, for uh, context here, is I worked in college athletics for the better part of five and a half or six years, a couple years at the University of Evansville, which is a small uh, Division I AAA school uh, in Indiana, so it plays Division I sports but does not have football, and then a couple years at the University of South Florida down in Tampa, of course, that had a ton of football success um, You know, between 05 and 08. 
is a member of uh, the American Athletic Conference right now. So I had I had two pretty interestingly different perspectives on the industry uh, at a really you know young age of say 22 to 27, 28 years old. And then I got I got really lucky to connect with the athletic director at the University of Evansville at the time, uh, Bill McGillis who became kind of the number two guy in charge at the University of South Florida and now is the AD at, at Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. When I went to work for Bill, uh, this would have been, oh boy, uh, 05. I just got really lucky lucky in that I was his personal intern for a, a whole calendar year, nice. or excuse me, a, a whole academic year. And because Evansville is a one AAA school without football, it's a lean department, so you get to do a lot of everything, a lot of compliance, ticket sales, uh, ticket operations, game management, and then a lot of cool stuff like uh, coaching searches you get to assist on or fundraising projects or facility projects. So right off the bat, I got this really wide breadth of experience thanks to Bill's leadership uh, and confidence in me. And then I went to work for Bill uh, and Doug Willard at the University of South Florida for a number of years and continued to, to get uh, a good perspective on the inside of the industry. So this whole time, uh, I'm trying to keep up with developments myself in, in, in the industry, and there's a couple products, uh, a couple services that were trying to curate the right news, some of which were actually curating the right news, but were uh, delivering it in an inefficient manner. Mm-hmm. Others who uh, weren't curating the right news at all, but maybe were doing a better job from a delivery methodology standpoint. So for a number of years, I used to complain and bitch about, you know, Service A is is flooding my inbox with 300 articles a day, and I know that I know that 30 of them are important. Right. But but I don't have the time personally to go through and figure out which 30 are important. Uh, conversely, Service B is sending me one email a day with 30 developments, but they're the wrong 29 of 30 developments. <laughs> So I think I complained about this long enough that uh, I actually exited college athletics in late 2010 uh, to start another business that we'll talk about, um, but continued to have this idea that the, the boat was completely being missed here on how to efficiently deliver the right developments uh, to administrators across the industry every single day. And so some good friends in my network within the industry finally, I think, told me to you know, shut up or put up and uh, either build it or quit talking about it. <laughs> and so then, right, January 1st of 2013, I started getting up every morning at, you know, back then it was like 4 a.m. Uh, to per- peruse, you know, the Internet and, and use uh, some advanced search functionality on some popular uh, search engines as well as my own Twitter feed and a number of different angles, including some, some really key business reads like the Financial Times and uh Wall Street Journal, of course, and The Atlantic and New York Magazine uh, to aggregate a really interesting body of business and industry news that is applicable to the upper crust of leadership in Division I athletics. And so, again, to boil it down, it was about my guys in the industry saying, dude, we're tired of hearing you talk about this. If you think you you can do it better, (laughs) do it. Go do it. And so and so it started out five days a week for the first two years. It's been seven days a week since. Um, and I, I think I've shown that um, I can do it per se, but also the, the key, of course, now for any developing business is how, how can you continue to improve upon your product to deliver a, a quality service to your subscribers. But that's a 
the, the background on launch was um, sweat equity, peer pressure, sweat equity, and getting my butt out of bed at 4.30 a.m. for a long time every single morning. I love that. I love that. So uh, the, the, first, the first company uh, I had the privilege of running is my first job out of school. I got hired on as the first executive editor of uh, the Safety Review, which is today – uh, the, the most widely read political publication in the state of Florida and solved a very similar problem for a very different audience, uh, which is just the inefficiency in the market of news uh, and, and the opportunity for aggregation and culling through a lot of crap to find the good stuff, right? So I, I love that. I love that founding story. And I remember those mornings of getting up at 5 a.m. Uh, to, to publish to publish the site every morning. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so with every episode, episode of uh, Startup Stories, we ask, we ask our guests, uh, wow, man, we ask our guests uh, to tell two compelling stories uh, that convey lessons uh, that they think are valuable for all entrepreneurs to learn. Uh, so Matt, what stories do you want to share with us today uh, that, that kind of share some valuable lessons for the entrepreneurs who are listening to the show? I think both of my stories, Jordan, uh, really boil down to Picking the right business partners, um, and, and I have two previous companies. Uh, one that is certainly still in execution. One that's kind of uh, fallen off the map. But two previous companies that I've been a part of that have different that have given me a different perspective on uh, selecting, choosing, and/or getting lucky with the right business partners mm-hmm. as you uh, dig into any endeavor. And uh, I think even though D1 Ticker and, and those projects, I'm a solo founder on that front. I mean, there's a reason why you always see uh, some of the largest companies out there, and maybe Zuckerberg's, a, again, an outlier on this, but the, the co-founding of companies is, uh, I think, by a byproduct of how damn hard it is mm. to start a business yeah. and to grow a business and how you need uh, not only bandwidth from an execution standpoint, but emotional support um, and and mental support. So uh, back when I was in grad school, a very good friend of mine, a guy who continues to be one of my, my closest confidants, uh, was getting ready to have his first child, and he's out looking for infant activity gyms, which Jordan, you and I have, have young kids, so we know these things all too well. It's it's these apparatuses where you know a six-month-old or younger uh, infant will lay under, and there's hanging balls and rings and, and musical uh, doohickeys and that sort of thing. So, uh, so Scott's out looking for a baby gym or an infant activity gym for his soon-to-be-born daughter. He's a huge Cubs fan, a huge University of Iowa Hawkeyes fan, um, and cannot find a sports-themed one to save his life. And so, of course. The wheels get rolling. The light bulb go- goes on over our heads of, you know, why is there not specific u- infant activity gym units for uh, professional sports teams or collegiate branded uh, a pair of uh, collegiate brands in college athletics and that sort of thing. And so we go through this process of, of identifying the opportunity and understanding how to get it manufactured in China or abroad getting it licensed through collegiate licensing company, which obviously owns them or, or helps sell the marks and rights logos for heck 80% of division one college athletic departments and universities out there enter into an agreement to order a minimum order quantity of 1500, uh, invest close to six figures combined, not each of us, but so, so not a, 
not a huge investment, but when you're 24, 25 years sure. old, you know, a sizable amount of money. Yeah. Heck, everything I'd probably saved for a long time leading up to that. And so what we found was, A, we started with the wrong team, right? We started with the University of Louisville, which was home for both of us. And there's simply not enough retail outlets available hmm. um, to move units in bulk to uh, roll through minimum order quantities quick enough to create enough uh, net margin. So that was one thing, but really what it boiled down to, and it's funny, Scott and I are very similar in this regard, but Scott's a much better salesman than I am, but we are both externally oriented, right? We both want to go out and create sales relationships. In that capacity, we wanted to create retail relationships. Uh, we wanted to push the product through marketing channels. We wanted to deal with our supplier and, and have those kind of meetings. But you know what nobody wanted to do? Nobody wanted to put the spreadsheets together. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody wanted to do the accounting. Uh, nobody, nobody wanted to think about sales cycles. We were just go, go, go. And so while uh, the perspective of that story is Scott and I are great friends, we continue to be good friends, we will always be good friends, that was an uh, underwhelming business startup experience because we had so similar sk skill sets that we didn't complement each other well enough uh, to really probably have a good grasp and handle on where that business should go. Uh, beyond simply having the rights to the University of Louisville. So that, that's probably my first story about, you know, really being diligent uh, about who your co-founder or founding team is. Yeah. And I know most people may hear that and go like, well, well yeah, man, you need a CTO and, and you need a chief revenue officer. And I'm just, you know, I'm the CEO, but my, my guy who I've been through this battle with is going to be my COO. It seems simple, right? Yeah. It's not always that simple. Yeah, exactly. I, well, one of the things that we encourage uh, our, our clients to do at Vocario is to, you know, at the onset of a business, right, before it gets too complex, is to list out all of the job responsibilities that somebody needs to do, uh, right? And make sure that somebody has responsibility for them on day one, but have a plan for who's going to take on those job responsibilities uh, over time and in the future and creating different roles around that. And being really self-aware of where the holes are in your team, right? Uh, you know, you, you, if, you have, if you have a team of two, chances are there's going to be some holes in experience. Uh, and that's okay. You just need to be aware of of those things and be able to, you know, find partners uh, to to learn those uh, skills, or uh, just decide that you guys are going to learn it yourself. So uh, I think that's I think that's really really valuable uh, advice. That's great. Uh, what's your so so last story? Uh, what's so is this also in the vein of, of business partnerships, Matt? Yeah, it is. And so this one revolves around Jam Active, which is an entity that I launched. Uh, in partnership with a couple guys here in Louisville who have an existing sports management business. I exited college athletics in late 2010. There's an entity uh, here in town called Jam Brands, which uh, has two verticals. The biggest vertical by far is cheerleading and dance competitions that we do nationwide and, and really worldwide as there's a number of properties in Asia, uh, Europe, and South America. And it's it was founded and is still owned by uh, three guys who came through the University of Louisville Spirit organization. And while it seems to be a very niche industry that many outsiders don't know much about, man, it is complex and very interesting. And this story more has to do with luck, Jordan. So my my wife uh, worked for Jam Brands on the cheer side for 
a number of years. And so I, I was fortunate to get to know the ownership group there um, prior, prior to leaving USF and founding, help, helping to found, to found um, Jam Active, which is a road race management company. So we put on uh, running races and road races from coast to coast for the last four and a half, five years hmm. um, in the traditional space in terms of half marathons and triathlons and uh, duathlons, but also in the social the social running space, which has just exploded the last three years yeah. um, with the likes of Color Run and Tough Mudder and uh, Muddy Buddy and, and uh, a, a number of others. And we've operated in that space with some pretty interesting concepts and then some uh, neat partnerships from my standpoint with college athletic departments. But the moral of the story is I really got lucky to be able to be mentored and learn under three guys who had already built a sizable and, and, and successful business. And one of the lessons that they've really passed along to me, in, in addition, as I talk about luck, is the return on luck. And Jim Collins, I think it's Jim Collins, who talks a lot about that in either you know, Born to be Great or Good to Great or, or one of his seminal reads. Mm-hmm. And, and that is folks who, in my case, I feel like I fell into a fortunate situation where they were uh, my ownership group with me but you've got a shot when you've got to either be your market position or your investor group, and, and hopefully it's it's both. Um, that's an opportunity you have to capitalize on, and and by and large, I think hard work equals luck. Or the more the harder you work and the more insightful you work, the, the more luck you may have. But you can't waste those opportunities of momentum, and we certainly don't feel like we have with Jam Active. I know those guys when they originally built Jam Brands from scratch to. A significant position within the cheer and dance industry. Um, for them, it might have been timing and industry knowledge. For me, it was having access to them as we built Jam Active and learning from some of their pitfalls that they made. And hopefully, we did, we haven't repeated many of them with Jam Active. So it's it's a combination of when you get lucky, be you know do your damnedest to uh, have a return that you can be satisfied with when you look back. For me now, it's four and a half years of going. Uh, look at the book of experience they brought to the table and now that i get to move forward with thanks to their tutelage and look how we've grown the business over that time again thanks to what they did previously and hopefully we've had a good return on luck on both fronts yeah that's interesting that's a great story yeah i think i think it's uh jim collins a good to great talk, talks about that and, and and if i'm remembering this correctly and i apologize if i'm not uh, I, when, when they were looking at the good versus the great companies that they studied in that piece, uh, they found that uh, what, one of their assumptions going into the study was that the good to great companies, the great companies just got luckier, right? There was an element of luck there. And, and in fact, they found uh, quite the opposite, that, that they weren't as lucky as the companies uh, that were just good. And it was interesting. It was very, very interesting. I got to go back and read that section, but it's really good. I love the focus on business partnerships. Uh, Richard, uh, Richard Koch in uh, the 80-20 principle, I, I'm not I'm not quoting this exactly, but I remember a section of the book where he said, you know, basically any significant endeavor requires partners, right? Uh, which is interesting. It's, it's very 
against the grain of this sort of micro business revolution that we're seeing around the world today, which I think is great, you know, and that's that's largely rooted in uh, for our work week and the $100 startup and that that type of model of, you know, the solo founder uh, that can manage that's basically basically as a business for, for passive passive income purposes. But I think what Coke says in the A20 principles, essentially, hey, if you're going to do anything of significant impact, uh, aside from uh, just just personal cash flow, uh, it does require partners, it requires a, a really, really solid team. And I think that's a big part of the reason why investors, uh, especially uh, early stage investors, uh, like the ones we have in the Vocro Capital Network, uh, that's the most important thing when, they, when they're evaluating deals is, uh, is this team uh, the one that can execute pretty much any idea uh, in this space uh, to have the most significant impact. So uh, awesome stories, Matt. Thank you so much for sharing them. Uh, and thanks for joining us on Startup Stories. If you want to follow Matt's work, and I highly encourage you do, uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Roberts underscore Matthew. Uh, that's Roberts underscore Matthew. And as a reminder, this is one of 10 episodes uh, that we are airing to experiment with the Startup Stories podcast. Uh, so if you love the show and you want to see us keep it going and keep it on the air, be sure to share it with your friends and vote with your uh, listen counts. So Matt, thanks again for joining us. Jordan, I appreciate it as always.